Last year, I preached this sermon from my living room. And, and man, what a difference a year makes, right? What a difference a year makes that, that by God's grace, we're able to be together this morning in person to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. That is definitely worth clapping for. The story that we're about to look at in the book of Acts is, is a story that's been retold over and over again. The death of one man swings open the doors of life for the many. The death of one man swings open the doors of life for the many. Books and movies have been written telling this story in a variety of ways, and, and I could have chosen so many to illustrate what we are about to look at. The reason why I'm choosing this particular um, movie is because there's something that happens at the end of this particular movie. The last scene of Saving Private Ryan, if you've seen it, shows an older Ryan standing over the grave of Captain Miller, the man who sacrificed his life so that Ryan might live. And then over Ryan's shoulder, you see two generations represented, his children and his grandchildren, life stories that would not have unfolded without the heroic act of one man. From death and sacrifice came life. We love this story. We, 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 we get excited about this story every time we see it. That's why it's told over and over and over again, because it is so impactful to us. It moves us. This morning, as we reflect on the resurrection of our Lord, the one man who suffered so that the many might go free, my hope is that we would walk out of here encouraged in our faith, but also challenged to be vessels of that grace as we, as we make our way throughout the world. The death of Stephen, which we looked at on Friday night, served as the means by which God launched his mission to bring resurrection life to the nations. Easter is a time when we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord, the day when death was defeated. But as we celebrate, we must also remember that it was death that produced life and that we too must participate so that the world might see Jesus. And so with that, why don't we jump into our text and let's see what the Lord has for us this morning. So chapter 8, verses 4 and following. I just want to read through verses 4 through 8. It goes like this. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed, so there was much joy in that city. So a couple things that I noticed in the text I was studying. First thing is that Philip heads to Samaria to proclaim the resurrection to those who were seen as Jewish apostates, those who left the faith, those who said to the Jewish religion, that's not for me. And, and what we actually know about the Samaritans is that they were seen by the Jewish people as, as half-breeds, right? This was actually a derogatory term to refer to them. And, 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 and Jews did not want any part with Samaritans. 
They wanted no part with Samaritans. Another thing we notice in this particular passage is that unclean spirits are cast out, demonstrating that something cosmic is taking place. This isn't just an earthly event. This is a cosmic event. Healing takes place, demonstrating that new creation is spilling over outside the boundaries of the temple and Jerusalem. See, Philip's proclamation of the Christ in Samaria demonstrates that the resurrection of Jesus breaks down dividing walls of hostility between previously unreconcilable people groups so that the two might become one, thus dealing a devastating blow to the powers and authorities who seek to divide rather than unite. But, but here's the question that I'm wrestling with. It says that, that Philip preached the Christ. What does it mean to preach the Christ? What does it mean to proclaim King Jesus? Well, that's one thing it means, right? When we think of the word Christ, we think of King. He is the sovereign king over all of creation. But when we preach the Christ, we also are proclaiming how he became king. And he became king through his birth, life, death, burial, and resurrection and exaltation to the right hand of the Father. So when we preach the Christ, we're preaching the resurrection of Jesus. That's what Philip is proclaiming as he heads into this place where he was not really supposed to be and where Jews didn't really travel and where, and where, where people would not imagine God being present. When we preach the Christ, we preach his death, and we preach that his death produced life, first in him and then for all of us who follow. I want to read something from Philippians chapter 2. It goes like this. Verses 5 and following. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Then here's where it gets good. Therefore... God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, that's what we celebrate on Easter Sunday, that Jesus is the king, that Jesus is alive and well, that the tomb is empty. And that's what Philip was proclaiming in Samaria. That is good news, Redeemer Fellowship. That is good news in a year filled with with struggle and suffering and frustration and confusion. We have hope because we can look to the one who is alive, who, as I tell my kids, crushed death to pieces. See, death no longer has any reign over us because Jesus wins. It is him who achieves victory, and it is him who achieves victory on our behalf so that when one day we breathe our last, we will step into glory, and and what was previously only known by faith will be known by sight as we look upon the Christ face to face. That's our hope. That's our hope. 
That's why as I was sitting here this morning, listening to our worship team practicing, I was struggling to hold back tears, not tears of sadness, but tears of overwhelming joy because, oh my gosh, what a year it's been. But Jesus is still king. Jesus is still king. And many of us have had struggles apart from what is happening in the world around us. But Jesus is still king. That's the truth of the resurrection. And the beauty of this story that we're looking at is that we're seeing a small picture of it unfolding in the life of Philip and the people that he encounters. See, Stephen's death that we looked at on Friday night pushed Philip toward the other side of the track so that the great commission might be fulfilled and the kingdom might be extended. That's our call, Redeemer Fellowship. That's what it means to be in Christ. That's what it means to share in the life of Christ that we talk about so often here. The text continues. Verses 9 and following, it says this, But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself, after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed. He was amazed. And some stuff happens in the text. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem um, heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of hands, he offered them money saying, give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, that you may be forgiven. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel to many villages of Samaritans. Again, let's make a couple of observations. That was a lot of Bible there. So Simon was a big deal in Samaria. And he let everyone know that he was a big deal. I don't know if you noticed that. He, he liked to talk about himself. Simon was all about Simon. And people were in awe of Simon's abilities. They kind of looked at him. They're like, wow, this guy's this guy good, right? He, he does magic, man. He, he even said, they even said he has the power of God. But then something happens. The gospel is preached. And that changes everything. It changes everything because now their eyes are opened and it causes them to believe and be baptized. And, and so much so, the apostles in Jerusalem, they, they hear about the work of God going on among the Samaritans. And they're probably sitting there like, wait, what? Where is that happening? You say that's, that's happening in Samaria? 
oh, we got we to gotta go check this out. Peter, John, go check this out for us. Go see what's going on there. And, and, and when they come, what do they observe? They observe, these people love Jesus. These people love Jesus. So, so they lay their hands upon them and they pray and they receive the Holy Spirit. Now, we're not going to get into the particulars of this just for the sake of time because this is a pretty, it's a pretty wild sort of text. One thing I do want to say is that what we're seeing here is, is somewhat of a, uh, a type of Pentecost, another falling of the Holy Spirit upon God's people. And, and the fact that these people from Jerusalem came, these apostles came over to check it out, was to show that what's happening in Samaria is an extension of what happened in Jerusalem. See, see we're not divided anymore. Remember when Jerusalem and Samaria didn't really hang out anymore? And, no, 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 that's not the deal anymore. In fact, so much so that's not the deal that we're sending our people there and I'm going to prove it to you, and this is God speaking, right? I'm going to prove it to you by sending my Holy Spirit upon them to authenticate what just happened. See, the gospel is not just for one sort of person. The resurrection breaks down those barriers between people. The resurrection says that, no, religion doesn't just take place in the temple. Religion just doesn't take place in, in, in the land of Israel, but rather religion, the Jesus sort of religion, the one that is about the man who died on a cross and rose again. See, that is a universal effort. See, that is going out to the nations. That's the very thing that the Jews were supposed to be doing throughout their history, and they fail time and time and time again until the one man, the true Israelite, came, Jesus of Nazareth, died on a cross and rose again so that no longer these lines of division exist. See, the gospel goes out to the nations, to the nations. There is no one sort of person that stands above other types of people, but rather Jesus stands above us all, and we are all in union together with him. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of the good news of Jesus, and that's the power of the resurrection, that it breaks down dividing walls of hostility, as it says in Ephesians chapter 2. That's the beauty of Jesus. The powers are put in their place. The last become first, and dividing walls of hostility are obliterated. That's good news. It's good news for all of us in here, because I would venture to say that most of us don't hail from Israel and are not Jewish by descent, but most of us are probably Gentiles, and we wouldn't have had any participation in this thing if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, defeat the powers and authorities, and crush that dividing line, dividing wall of hostility to pieces, because now we can come in and be a part of the family of God. Oh, that's good news. That's good news. That's the power of the resurrection as we're seeing it unfold in the life of the early church. That's the power of the resurrection, that the gospel goes forth. The gospel goes forth. The text continues. In verse 26, it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, and check this out, right? An angel of the Lord. Right? I, I think sometimes we, we read the Bible and we just kind of gloss over this stuff. An angel's talking to Philip right now. You guys catch that? 
right? This isn't like, and the narrator said. No, a heavenly being is having a conversation with Philip, right? So we can't just gloss over this stuff. We need to understand that something divine, something cosmic is going on here. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise, interesting use of words, and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. It's a desert place. And he rose and he went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah, and the spirit said to Philip, so now, you're catching this again, right? First an angel talks, and now the spirit's talking. So there's all sorts of cosmic divine activity happening here. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? I, 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 can't, I pray for these situations. They never show up for me. And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shears is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. That's from Isaiah 53. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord, again, a divine and cosmic event takes place, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and he passed through, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns he came until he came to Caesarea. Again, a couple of observations. The angel of the Lord and the Spirit's presence indicates that what is occurring is sanctioned by God. That what is occurring is sanctioned by God. What is occurring? What's happening here? Well, this eunuch hails from Ethiopia. And in the ancient world, Ethiopia would have been considered, guess what? The ends of the earth. The ends of the known world at that time. So right before our eyes, right here in the beginning of this whole thing that we call Christianity, the great commission to go and and, and proclaim the gospel and baptize them and teach them to obey in, in, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth, right? It's happening right now. It's beginning to be fulfilled. Again, those dividing walls of hostility that once stood between Jew and Gentile, that once stood between us and God, are being obliterated as the gospel goes forth and the great commission is being fulfilled. Another thing happens. This particular individual was a eunuch, and according to Jewish law, they were not really welcomed into the Jewish faith. And what happens That's obliterated now. The gospel goes forth. The gospel goes forth. See, see the resurrection of Jesus, the fact that the tomb is empty, 
That draws people in from the ends of the earth, and it takes those who were previously considered outsiders, and it turns them into adopted members of the family of God. We get to be his kids. Do you get that? The resurrection means that our father is in heaven. The resurrection means that our sins are forgiven. The resurrection means that death no longer has the final answer. Stephen's death, once again, is used by God to push the kingdom beyond the borders of Jerusalem, widening the table of the family of God so that the nations could eat. This is glorious news. This is the stuff that gets me excited. This is the stuff that brings tears to my eyes because because death no longer has power. Do we understand that? Death no longer has power because Jesus lives. Because Jesus lives. And then what happens? The Ethiopian eunuch says, hey, there's some water over there. Why don't you baptize me? We're going to baptize someone today. We're going to baptize Anthony today. And just a couple of things about baptism. What is it? What does it mean? Well, it's a sign and seal of God's covenant. It's a sign and seal of God's covenant. It's, it's, it's a sign of our identification with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's a sign of our fellowship, our our participation with Jesus. It's a picture of God's cleansing grace and, and the regeneration of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian. And it is a calling that we might continue to walk in newness of life. This is what it means when we talk about baptism. And, and baptism only means something because Jesus has been risen from the dead. Because if Jesus isn't risen from the dead, as Pete said earlier, then let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But tomorrow we do not die. Tomorrow we go to sleep, and then we are risen up on the last day with Jesus. That's the beauty of death. It's actually a a passage into eternal glory with Jesus. And now I'm not going to sit here and and say, like, like death is one of those things that does kind of freak me out. I'll be perfectly honest with you. But, man, when I'm reminded of the resurrection, it gives me hope. It gives me hope. And in the midst of the difficulties that we are seeing unfold in our culture and what we've experienced throughout this year, it is only the resurrection that can give us hope. And so many are offering all sorts of different types of hope But none of that is going to amount to anything. Jesus is the only thing, the only one, excuse me, who can provide us with the hope we need in this life. Oh, that's glorious news. So the story of Philip is in and of itself a story of resurrection life being unleashed into the world through the suffering of one man, namely Stephen. There's an interesting pattern, right? Stephen and Philip are both one of the seven that that Scott's going to preach about next week in Acts chapter 6. And one of the seven dies, and another one of the seven goes out and proclaims the Christ. This This is a story of resurrection. It's a type of resurrection. 
And what does he do? He proclaims the gospel. What is, what is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is the means by which new creation is unleashed onto the earth. The gospel is the good news that those of us who are far from God because of our sin and unbelief can be brought near through Jesus. See, the gospel has a vertical element to it. The gospel has a new creation element. The gospel is also the good news that our sin can be forgiven and no longer held against us if we put our faith and trust in King Jesus. The gospel is the good news that regardless of where we come from, whatever the color of our skin is or whatever socioeconomic class we belong to, the grace of God extends past the borders of Jerusalem and lands in every tribe, tongue, and nation. See, the gospel is vertical. It's new creation oriented. It's also horizontal in its nature. Meaning, again, that dividing walls of hostility are broken down between God and between us. The resurrection is the reversal of death so that it is no longer the final word in our story, but rather serves as a path, as the path to new life. This is what we see through the death of Stephen as it unleashes life throughout the known world. And this is what we have experienced through the person and work of Jesus who laid his life down so that we might go free, forgiven and alive, forgiven and alive. For those of you visiting with us who might never have understood this message of God's grace, there is pain and there is suffering in this world. There's injustice and evil permeating every single corner of creation. But the good news The good news is that through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, one day those things will be overturned. And we will enter into glory and experience eternal life with Jesus.